Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, July 6th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topics in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Madison Colombo. Coming up, we'll have some features from reporters. But now let's get started with the headlines. Big changes are coming to interstate transportation. That's right. Governors Kathy Hochul and Phil Murphy agreed to split a $14 billion price tag to build a new tunnel that will connect New York and New Jersey and fix the North Portal Bridge. The tunnel will go under the Hudson and connect New Jersey to Penn Station. Governor Murphy says the plan could be the most significant transportation project in the entire country. The tunnel has been in the planning stages for 20 years, and the current agreement between Hochul and Murphy only accounts for Phase 1. Construction on the tunnel and the North Portal Bridge could begin as soon as next year. New York City announced yesterday that there will be a crackdown on ghost cars roaming the city streets. Ghost cars have paper or obscured license plates, which are illegal. There has been an increase in the amount of these cars, and the NYPD has caught 800 since last July. They're often untraceable, which can be dangerous because many people use these cars to harm pedestrians, bikers, or others. The NYPD, the Auto Crime Unit, and the Sheriff's Office are all working in a joint effort to get these cars off the street. Sotheby's is having a natural history auction, and there's a pretty exciting item on the list. That's for sure. A 76-million-year-old dinosaur skeleton is up for auction. The skeleton is an older relative of the T-Rex, called a Gorgosaurus. Standing at 10 feet tall and 22 feet long, it's a pretty big find. The auction is tonight, and the pre-sale estimate for the artifact is between 5 and $8 million. In music news, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame singer Carlos Santana collapsed on stage yesterday in Montana. 74-year-old musician says it was because of heat exhaustion and dehydration. After the collapse, he was taken off on a stretcher and rushed to the hospital. But Santana says he's doing much better. The singer also rescheduled tonight's show. While history doesn't necessarily change, the way we interpret it certainly has. That's right. I got the chance to speak with Elizabeth Bradley from the historic Hudson Valley Group about how they use their historical sites to teach the forgotten history of New York. When told to think of historical New York landmarks, your mind might immediately drift to a certain statue in the harbor or maybe the tallest building in the country. But the state's history goes much deeper. New York has long been branded the home of opportunity and freedom. However, the past is not always quite as black and white as the photos in history books. Groups like the historic Hudson Valley work to educate New Yorkers on the lesser known sides of their history, making sure all faces are represented. I spoke with Elizabeth Bradley, president of Programs and Engagement at Historic Hudson Valley, about how they handle the changing narrative of history. The mission of Historic Hudson Valley is to celebrate the history, architecture, landscape, and culture of the Hudson Valley, advancing its importance and thereby assuring its preservation. That, for us, uh, really sums up the ways in which we use both our historic spaces and our innovative programming to tell a story that we believe our communities will find compelling and engaging and which will help to create a sense of ownership over these spaces. Founded in 1951, HHV was created by John D. Rockefeller Jr. in an effort to preserve important buildings across Westchester. Rockefeller felt that keeping the physical spaces intact was an important step in ensuring their history's longevity, and it has been. HHV has been creating living history in these historical buildings for the last six decades. Living history is an opportunity to experience the past 
through the lens of immersive spaces. And that means that you have the opportunity to walk through a historic house museum to inhabit the spaces in which people in the past lived and worked. You have the opportunity in some cases to handle some of the objects and learn to use some of the tools that they might have used in their daily lives and in their labor. HHV has five distinct locations, ranging from Kaikit, the Rockefeller estate, to the home of Washington Irving, who we attribute with the creation of the Headless Horseman and Rip Van Winkle. Because of their wide range of sites, Bradley says they're constantly working to better understand each of their locations through funding historical research and scholarship. The group has especially committed themselves to uncovering the story of women and enslaved Africans, whose stories up until recently have long been neglected. Phillipsburg Manor, one of their sites, has been completely dedicated to telling the story of the 23 enslaved men, women, and children who were forced to work there. It is their story that we are committed to telling at Phillipsburg Manor, and this inventory is the document with all of their names and the information about their ages, clues as to their familial relationships and their roles that really helps us tell that story and return their humanity to them. The historic Hudson Valley says they strive to balance tradition and vision in order to bridge the past and present. Through incorporating new technology in their historical sites to being committed to contemporary perspectives on history, the group says learning from the past is the gateway to a better future. In this day and age, it is crucial that people understand the past in order to comprehend and grapple with the present that we're living in. Uh, we, we cannot come to terms with our own experience if we don't understand that of people who came before us and if we can't build empathy with the lives that they led and what they went through. To learn more about the historic Hudson Valley, you can visit one of their historical sites or check our website for more information, wfuvnews.org. That was WFUV's Madison Colombo talking with Elizabeth Bradley about the history of New York. Tonight, the Yankees have an event that's sure to be a home run. The team is hosting a blood drive in their stadium that will last until 11 p.m. tonight. The first 250 donors will receive two tickets to select Bronx Bomber games. They partnered with the New York Blood Center, which declared an emergency blood shortage in May. The New York Mets are holding a similar blood drive tomorrow. In other Yankee news, let's talk now with WFUV's Mike Calamari. Well, Isabel, it was a rare loss for the Yankees as they dropped the first game of a two-game set versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jameson Tyone did not pitch well in his return to Pittsburgh, allowing five runs over five innings of work. A couple of bright spots for the Bronx Bombers were Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who picked up three hits, and Aroldis Chapman, who pitched a scoreless eighth inning. Even with the loss, New York still holds a 13-game lead of first place in the AL East. The biggest story in New York baseball, however, was Max Scherzer's return to the mound, which was an absolute success. In his first start since May 18th, the righty pitched six shutout innings, striking out 11, allowing no runs and only two hits. However, the Mets were not able to back up Scherzer's big performance with the win, and they ended up losing the game against the Cincinnati Reds 1-0. The Mets have another chance to win the series against the Reds tonight behind David Peterson, who will get the ball for the Amazons. Peterson is 5-1 with a 3.24 ERA on the season. Mike, in other sports news, what's going on with the men's and women's divisions at Wimbledon? Well, it's been a great Wimbledon so far, and we'll start in the women's division as four players remain. Number 17, Alana Rubekina, makes her first semifinal appearance in a major, taking on number 16, Simona Halep, for a trip to the finals. 
On the other side of the bracket, number three, Owens Jabir, faces off against Tajana Maria of Germany. Those matches will occur Thursday morning. In the men's division, Novak Djokovic and Cameron Norrie already punched their ticket into the semifinals. The final two spots are currently being determined. The semifinal matches will be played out on Friday morning. And lastly, in the WNBA, Brittany Griner still remains detained in Russia after being arrested on February 17th in an airport for carrying hashish oil. Griner's trial began on July 1st, and she faces up to 10 years in prison. The WNBA star wrote a letter to President Joe Biden pleading for help. The letter was received by the White House on Monday, and President Biden plans to respond to the letter on Wednesday. With WFV Sports, I'm Mike Calamari. Thanks, Mike. This week, Fordham Conversations host David Escobar sits down with Fordham professor Mark Nason to talk about a forgotten part of the Bronx's music history. When you think of music from the Bronx, you probably think of hip-hop staples like Facho's iconic song, Lean Back. But Fordham University professor Mark Nason says music history in the Bronx is a lot more complicated. For him, it all started in a little-known neighborhood in the South Bronx. When I had some free time, I did some research and found there was over a half million people of African descent in the Bronx who were virtually invisible to historians. And some of the people were from a neighborhood called Morrisania. And apparently this became the largest uh, center of black population in the Bronx in the 40s and 50s. And one of the people I interviewed there uh, named Bob Gums said to me, do you know that Morrisania was one of the major centers of live jazz in New York in the 1940s and 50s? And he mentioned all these clubs. There was virtually no information on them that you could find in books or on Google. But he, he pointed out that almost all of the greatest jazz musicians of the era played in the Bronx and lived in the Bronx. They also, a lot of these musicians were friends with a lot of the great figures in Latin music who also lived in a neighboring neighborhood called Hunts Point. And it looks to me as though two neighborhoods in the Bronx are having more varieties of popular music in, in, within their borders in the 40s and 50s and probably any place in the country, if not the world. What kinds of spaces and venues were people in the Bronx community using to create and perform their music? All this is occurring in clubs in, in the same neighborhoods, but also the public schools have these great music programs. Every junior high and high school has 300 musical instruments that any kid can take home. And, and, and some of the churches, Marmosani and Hunts Point, were largely Jewish and Italian and working class. In the Depression, landlords who were having trouble renting their apartments figured this is one neighborhood where if we find black people who are, have depression-proof jobs, they can move in without violence. And so you had this voluntarily integrated neighborhood, which lasted for like 20 years. So in the 1940s and 50s, it's the summer and it's hot. Nobody has air conditioning. They were outside in three places, on the stoop, on the fire escape, and on the roof. And everybody can smell each other's food, hear their arguments, and listen to their music. Guy who lived on Beck Street, uh, Ray Mantilla, said that at first you had the African-American kids harmonizing in the stoop and the Puerto Rican guys in the roof 
playing their, their, their hand drums, pretty soon you had black guys playing the hand drums and Puerto Rican guys harmonizing. People shared. Almost a century later, artists are still sharing their traditions, like Cardi B and Bad Bunny in I Like It. That was Fordham Conversations host David Escobar talking with Mark Nason about the Bronx's music history. Fordham Conversations taps into the Fordham community to uncover and discuss issues that impact our world. And that's our show for today. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever podcasts are found.